This is a mediocre show with no particular niche, baby. It's always about hanging out. Maybe we'll laugh at some stuff. Maybe we'll learn something new. But it's always about hanging out, me and you. Hello, and welcome to That Thing with James, a podcast about nothing in particular. I'm your host, James. Uh, as, as I just said, this podcast is, well, it's usually... I gotta, you know, I'm doing this host fucking thing. Let's get real. Let's get real. This show's usually about nothing in particular. Um, although recently I I came across, well, actually, I was gifted a copy of a family artifact. It is an historical document. Although I've always been confused, and I do not believe there's any real clear rule on if it is if it should be a historical document or an historical document. Perhaps people use an historical so that I'm, I'm sure they're both correct because usually you would put an a n before another uh, word that starts with a vowel just because it flows better and reads better, that sort of a thing, and it sounds better. But H is not a vowel because, you know, history starts with H. Maybe you don't know. Now you do. History, the word, starts with the letter H in, in the English language. And it is, it is equally correct to say A historical as it's as equal correctness as it is to say a historical as it is to say an historical but perhaps when speaking people say an historical because if you say a historical while it is correct if you say it too quickly or if the listeners not really picking up on it it might come across as if you are saying a historical which is also a word so historical would mean, you know, there's some veracity that this is a historical thing. Like it's, it's, it's agreed upon and vetted as well as it can possibly be but that this historical thing, the details of which is accurate. However, a historical would mean it's not accurate to uh, consensus truth. All right. So let's just say this is an historical document that I started reading two podcast episodes ago, and that includes the bonus episode. It is of my maternal grandfather's trip to socialist Poland in 1976. He went beyond the Iron Curtain. So here's, here's the short pitch. My grandpa, who was a World War II vet, veteran, who uh, served in the European theater. He was in France, Germany, and Poland. Actually, I'm not entirely sure if he went to Poland. I know he was in Germany. Uh, he, was, uh, he was there at Verdun. He was there at the Bulge. I'm not sure if uh, the U.S. forces made it to Poland. I meant to look that up, but then I got kind of sidetracked by a natural disaster, which I'll tell you about here in a few minutes. Um, 
regardless, the last time my grandpa was in Europe, he was suited up. He had a weapon. Uh, he was an engineer. He was an army engineer, but I'm sure they had weapons too, just in case. Uh, and they were taking territory that the Nazis had taken over. Sorry, if you're hearing a dog in the background, I nothing I can do about it. And if you're hearing like a hiss or a hum in the background, I could do something about it, but I'm not going to do anything about it because that's the air conditioning. And this shitty apartment is really fucking hot and impossible to cool. But if I don't have this AC running and cranking my electric bill up uh, nonstop, then it would be uh, untenable. Though living in general seems to be progressively more untenable every week. Uh, yeah, my grandpa, the last time he was in Europe was during World War II. They were, uh, you know, taking territory away from the Nazis. Uh, and that happened. And my grandpa, he was Polish. Well, first generation American. His mother came from Poland uh, to uh, the Massachusetts area oh, oh, via Ellis Island, I believe, uh, in around 1913. So although she was Polish at that time, World War I was popping off. So she came to the U.S. with Austrian papers. Okay. Uh, and later in his life, my grandpa wanted to learn more about his family tree. So he started a whole genealogical project, which led him overseas to Poland to track down documents uh, and, and to meet up with relatives whom he had never before met, but whom he had reached out to via letters. And he kept a diary of this adventure. And I've not read this diary before. I wasn't even sure. I, I did not know it existed until somewhat recently, say within the past year or so. And I, uh, thanks to one of my cousins, now have a copy of this diary that my grandpa kept in various journals during that trip. And then when he got home, he transcribed them uh, uh, with a typewriter into, you know, typed form. And uh, now I have a copy of that and I'm reading through it. And let me tell you, I did not expect it to be as entertaining and funny as it is. So I'm sharing it here on this podcast. I started with the you know, the free episode prior to this one of this podcast. And then I continued reading it on in the Patreon episode. And I'm going to do the same thing this week. I'm going to pick up where I left off uh, in that, you know, in said Patreon episode. I'm going to pick up where I left off there. And uh, where I stop in this episode, I will continue reading in this week's Patreon episode. So first off, if you happen to be a family member, I didn't even think of this before. If you happen to be related to me and you want to hear me read this document and offer my, you know, commentary on it, uh, I do not want 
it, you can. If you feel so inclined, you are more than welcome to help support the show by becoming a Patreon or a patron at patreon.com slash that thing with James and thus get access to the bonus episodes and, you know, the uh, you know, the portions of me reading this historical document from my, my grandfather. Um, but I don't want to force you to do that because you're family. Uh, so if you want, just reach out to me and I can provide you, uh, like, you know, free access to the episodes that in which I continue reading this document. Um, but if you want to support, cool, but I don't want you to feel forced now, if you're not related to me and you do want to hear, uh, you know, the portions that are going to be behind a paywall, once again, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash that thing with James. I have way more bonus episodes uh, besides the ones regarding this particular document uh, because I've been doing bonus episodes for, I think, a little over a year now. So I've got quite a back catalog. And I also have uh, behind-the-scenes making-of kind of footage for my comedy web series, the one titled Minor Tensions by Dick Whistler. Um, you can get those at Patreon. Uh, and there are different uh, access tiers with different bonuses uh, of them. So I can give you shout-outs. I, I might even handwrite and snail mail to you a personal thank you letter. So once again, patreon.com slash that thing with James. And while we're on the business end, you can find me on TikTok. My handle is at TTWJ Productions. There you can find uh, my my web series that I do. That's basically all I publish on that account on TikTok. Uh, and if you don't want to watch the web series there, you can watch it on YouTube. If you're not subscribed to my YouTube channel, consider, you know, subscribing to it. It helps. Uh, let's see what else. Twitter and Instagram. I'm on those two at James J. Asher. I have a subreddit, but I'm not going to promote Reddit until they get their API shit sorted out. So get your shit together, Reddit. Uh, and then you can reach out to me. If you have uh, a, a business opportunity for me, if you have uh, something constructive or nice to say to me, or an idea for something you would love to hear me uh, cover on this here podcast, email me at my show email, thatthingwithjames at gmail.com. All of that information is written in the episode description so you don't have to rewind this show and write it down in a rushed hurry while you're steering your vehicle with your knees in rush hour traffic. Just when you get it some time, check out the episode description. And once again, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash that thing with James. Everything helps. Now, I said there was a natural disaster, and indeed there fucking was. And over the past two and a half years, I cannot seem to avoid this on top of every fucking thing else. I keep getting caught in states of emergency because there's there's good reason. There's a very good reason why this episode is coming out a week later than, well, I personally intended it to. So the way I've been doing things is I've been doing this podcast bi-weekly. So that means every other week. 
And on the weeks that I am not recording, editing, and releasing this podcast, on those weeks that I'm not doing that, I am working on the web series Minor Tensions with Dick Whistler. I do all this stuff on top of, you know, writing and I'm looking, you know, I'm submitting, I'm querying literary agents to try to get my, my novel published. Uh, I do all this stuff because I fucking have to. I fucking have to. It's not that there's a gun to my head. Well, it's not like someone else is holding the gun to my head, and it's not like I am either. <laughs> but I, I, I do feel a lot better <laughs> if I do this stuff. Um, I, I just feel compelled uh, to create shit. And that's why I mentioned Patreon, because it helps support, helps support me and and my efforts. Um, but I did not get to release a new podcast episode last week because on the very day that I was going to record what would be this episode right here, I had to evacuate Tulsa. Well, I didn't have to, but it was the best fucking thing. Because, well, let me put it like this. Right now, and I'm sure it's going to be different in a week's time when this episode is released, but right now, this is Sunday, June 25th, year 2023. It's currently 12.29 p.m. Central Time. Uh, as of right now, about, I'd say about 50% of the Tulsa area is still without electricity, meaning they have about 50% of the Tulsa area has had no electricity for the past week. Actually, week plus, because a or an historical destructive windstorm blew in to Tulsa and the surrounding areas uh, Sunday. So it's June 25th. What's 25 minus 7? Uh, and then subtract another like 12 hours or something because like overnight, actually, no, it was Sunday, but it was like at like one in the morning, this crazy fucking storm blew in. I didn't even know it was coming. Apparently there was not even a, uh, uh, an emergency alert that came out until like a couple hours prior to when I was fast asleep, very tired. Uh, I was fast asleep and had I known, had I uh, woken up from that alert, then I would have been awake to know that there was a crazy fucking storm. So there's a thunderstorm, three tornadoes touched down around Tulsa, and the winds, there were winds. Never in recorded history in Oklahoma has, uh, you know, there's no meteorological record of winds reaching over 100 miles per hour. So basically what happened here was kind of a uh, land hurricane. These were hurricane style winds, uh, tearing, you know, destroying roofs everywhere. Uh, the entire city, even right now on June 25th, 2023, huge, Huge portions of Tulsa still look like it has been bombarded uh, from like a, a carpet bombing, 
like it was in a war almost, except there's no craters or, you know, bombed out buildings. But let's say uh, they bombed the trees exclusively because driving around, I'm seeing dense, powerful, strong, deep rooted trees uprooted. Like it is, it was fucking crazy and very scary. So intense rain, intense, incessant thunder, and the wind. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. And I've been in all sorts of extreme weather. Um, I've been around tornadoes. I've been around crazy ice storms where the ice is so thick that it's breaking very thick, powerful tree branches. And it sounds like cannons going off. But when it sound, when the trees are breaking under the weight of inches and inches of dense ice, it sounds like a, you know, a cannon, like say there's a cannon about a mile away and you can hear it at one specific location. You can hear it. The wind was kind of like that, but it wasn't that, that boom didn't come from like a specific local area. It was like the entire air around you for miles around, not just like, you know, uh, uh, say 10 square feet of sound making like a booming kind of a sound. No, the entire fucking atmosphere, all of the air particles in your entire fucking area exploding. Boom. Everywhere. Constant. Boom. You can hear the rain pelting, uh, fucking hail coming down, sirens going off nonstop. Boom. The entire fucking atmosphere that you breathe, that you need to survive. Boom. Rocking the entire building at its foundation. It was crazy. And it went on for over an hour. The wind went on like that for over an hour. And then uh, the wind was still pretty strong, but not exploding at over 100 miles an hour anymore. Uh, it was fucking crazy and destructive. And Tulsa is, I believe, still in considered, declared in a state of emergency. And I say I can't seem to get away from it because, well, a state of emergency uh, is something that, you know, is the nail in the coffin that drove me out of Texas, out of Austin, Texas. Um, that one left me homeless. This one fortunately didn't leave me homeless, but without power for a few days. And like I said, about half the city, it's been a week now and they still don't have power or they just got power like today. It's rough. So that's why I didn't have a podcast episode out last week. And to make up for it, uh, I'm going to do two consecutive weeks of podcasting, which means I won't be doing another Minor Tensions until after the two consecutive podcast weeks. So what does that mean? There's a podcast this week, and then next week, another podcast. All right? Uh, let's get into it. I've got some other news. I, I don't know. I don't know. There's some tea I will consider spilling in the, uh, unrelated to all of this, but like some uh, a professional, like career tea I might spill in the bonus episode. 
I'll see how I feel about it. I'm not sure if it's something I should spill. Regardless, uh, let's get into the show. <laughs> 20 fucking minutes into this episode. I should take a drink of water. Give me just a second before we read. Okay, so here's a quick summary off the top of my head, because I don't want to go back and reread the pages. A uh, quick summary off the top of my head. The story starts, my grandpa was in Germany going into Czech. Uh, I My history eludes me. I don't know if it was Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic in, in July or June of 1976, but he was into Czech. Uh, getting a train on the way through Austria on into Poland. And he had a number of issues. He had a number of issues of getting, uh, well, you know, almost losing all of his money, almost losing his passport. He was misplacing everything because, well, he didn't actually lose everything. He just had too many pockets. Yes, yes, people. He, my grandpa, had too many damn pockets, and he forgot that he had so many pockets that he forgot how many pockets he had, and thus he forgot that maybe he placed his passport in the one pocket he forgot existed. So grandpa had too many pockets, and that caused some consternation, caused some issues that uh, turned out to be not real issues, fortunately for him. And on the train ride on to, uh, I think, Warsaw or somewhere around there, uh, when the train stopped, he got a shakedown from uh, uh, security guards that got onto the train in Poland. They were shaking everyone down, but especially him because he wasn't just a foreigner. He was an American. And he lied about the money he had. The dude had money like stowed away in different parts of himself. Well, on, I'll say on different parts of himself. Uh, if he had any stored inside him, he did not share that information in this diary. But he's got money squirreled away so he doesn't get pat down or picked off. And he is also writing in code because this shakedown went so deep that they read like every page of the diary that he's keeping. I think to make sure he's not a spy or something. Uh, so he's writing in code that only he knows, code that he translates and then, you know, writes in the translated version in this in this typed document. Uh, let's pick up here. Where were we? Page eight. Krakow. After several protestations, I conceded that I would... Uh, we waited for the baggage to be unloaded. Then Eugenia, who uh, behaves like Vic in her assertive attitude, so he just he, he got off the train and met up with his Polish relatives, uh, whom he'd not met before, but they look like him and his siblings. Uh, then Eugenia, who behaves like Vic in her assertive attitude, checked with the luggage people to learn that they did not know when that would arrive. Uh, I'm not sure what this, that, or the other is, but we'll just keep reading and pretend we do. We went to the large nine-story apartment complex where she lived. We went to uh, where she lived. There I met her mother, Veronica, with a K. 
I forget at this moment her age, late 70s or early 80s. She is a small, thin woman with an active mind. Oh, at the railroad station, I was great Polish style by Eugenia. A handshake, a kiss on each cheek and on the lips. This was to be the greeting of all women. Eugenia told me that I would have to speak loudly for her mother was hard of hearing. She, the mother, promptly replied that she could hear satisfactorily. It is 5.35 a.m. The church bells are ringing. This is something I have not heard for many years. Eugenia has two sons. One had left on Monday, April 24th, to serve in the army. The other son, perhaps 17, was, as I was later told, not as obedient as the older one about which Eugenia was worried. Oh, so we got a good boy who's going to serve in the army. And then we've got a unruly teenager. Hmm. Now, this was Wednesday, 26th of April, 1978. I was served a mid-afternoon dinner. We had a long conversation, then I had a bath, and I went to bed around 7 p.m. The apartment has a very small European-type kitchen. The living room has a small dining table, a large color TV, and a sofa bed. The only other room was a bedroom that had a wardrobe, desk, and two beds. I occupied one bed. The mother slept in the other. Eugenia and husband slept in the living room sofa bed. The son slept on cushions on the floor. Next morning, Eugenia asked if there was any type of food I could not eat. I was really considerate. <laughs> and he said so. I thought that considerate. They could not get over the fact that I drank hot water only. <laughs> what? He only drank hot water? He wouldn't drink cold water? That is like, so uh, 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 the guy who made that cult movie, The Room, what the fuck is his name? Apparently, he only drinks hot water as well. And from what I hear, it's actually really good for you to drink hot water. Good for digestion and, uh, you know, maintaining body temperature, even in, in warmer or hot climes. Um, she couldn't get over the fact that I drank hot water only. There and in subsequent meetings of others, I refused to and did not take any type of liquor. Eugenia had taken a week's vacation to be my host. Her husband works on shifts, which began at 1 p.m. during my stay. So in the morning, they planned to drive me around there or in their 11-year-old Russian-made car. As we left the apartment, Eugenia decided to first go to the railroad station to see if or when my luggage would arrive. She met, quote, I don't know, unquote, replies. Uh, she then made a comment that a former guest had to wait six days for the arrival of his luggage. I could not see why mine should not have been in today, 27th of April. We then went several miles to an area of several warehouses where luggage, crates, and items from foreign countries were delivered for checking. I had... Ooh, my stomach's growling. 
I had mainly thought that since I uh, had not carried the luggage onto the train, that it would not be inspected. Eugenia went to at least half a dozen different small offices inquiring about my luggage. I could see that her assertive, pleading attitude tended to turn off the workers. Finally, we located the area where the luggage arrived. My bags had not arrived. It was then about 9.30 a.m., so we departed after being told that on one, uh, that on one canoe then when the luggage, oh, oh, it's a misspell. We departed after being told that no one knew when the luggage would come in. We went through the door and were about 20 to 30 feet down the hallway when one of the workers hurried after us. He informed us that our luggage had just arrived that moment. You know, I call bullshit. I bet no one just wanted to check. Uh, He informed us that our luggage uh, had just arrived. We returned to wait the uh, unloading of the truck, which had the luggage. Oh, maybe it did just get in. How auspicious, how fortunate, how lucky for grandpa. Um, When the luggage was brought in, I was asked to check it. So I did. I also thought that I was to open it. When I proceeded to do that, I was stopped. Both pieces had metal seals which had put which had been put on in Austria. Wait, so his bags and he's got some like canvas bags. They put metallic seals on them and he doesn't have to inspect it here. Maybe after his uh, shakedown on the train, he thought he's going to have to get his stuff inspected everywhere he goes, but apparently not. And apparently the Austrians knew that uh, Polish authorities were going to shake down everybody, so they were put on metal seals so it couldn't get shook down or or pilfered from. Um The luggage weight was checked against the papers. We were told to go back upstairs and await papers. Up we went. I told, or rather asked Eugenia, if I could try to do the handling process. I went into one of the offices where I proceeded to inform the young woman that my luggage had arrived and was asking what needed to be done next when in came one of the officials who had been downstairs with papers and told me not to bother the girls, but go with him. I went to another office, and I wonder if this is all, all, excuse me, if all these exchanges are happening in English or in Polish, Uh, because it seems uh, my grandpa knew some German and some Polish, but I'm not sure which of the two he felt more confident in. I'm not sure how fluent he was in all this stuff. Perhaps Polish, because he did grow up in a, like, mainly an almost exclusively Polish-speaking household. I know that his mother, my great-grandmother, only spoke Polish uh, until the day she passed. Um, At least that's what I heard. Uh, I went to another office. There I showed my passport and Austrian receipt. After signing some papers, I was told to wait outside the office. Oh, unlike others who were awaiting their inspection, 
Uh, I did not knock on the door before entering. After a half hour or so, one inspector called my name. Back downstairs we went. Oh, this is so Kafka-esque, the uh, uh, bureaucratic process here. Back downstairs we went. Eugenia and husband waited outside the room while I went in apprehensively. First, I opened my suitcase, which had been placed on a large table. I was asked if everything was for my personal use. Oh, so it's another shakedown. Uh, More on back of this page. Interesting. All clothing items were removed. The women's items included... uh, Women's items, including 20 pair of nylons, were set aside and subsequently itemized. Next came the duffel bag uh, with all the jeans, your clothing, and shoes. There, too, your items were noted, uh, as were the five pairs of shoes, mine and Rick's. One of the workers who had helped unpack helped me repack. So I... Um, and this is just piecing together from other stories I heard from my mom years and years ago. I guess uh, my grandpa did help uh, these Polish relatives acquire items that were difficult, if not impossible, to purchase uh, in, in Poland at that time, uh, which included some like jeans, like Levi jeans and nylons and that sort of stuff. Uh, and apparently, if memory serves and if the story is true, that actually became a point of contention between him and the the Polish relatives. Um, it got a little, there was some static that built up because of that. It seemed like, from, from what I understand of the stories, they started asking for a little bit too much, a little too often, like maybe they were taking advantage of him a little bit. I don't know. That's just what I have understand of what I've heard. Onward. Uh, one of the workers who had helped unpack helped me repack. I was told to go back upstairs, upstairs, downstairs. It's like Catholic mass. Stand, kneel, sit, stand, kneel, sit. Um, while waiting, I had visions of a sizable duty on the listed items. After perhaps another half hour, I was called into the office and was told to sign some papers and pay 20 zlotis, uh, perhaps 30 cents on the official exchange rate. I was rather happy with that very minor charge. Well, that's funny because he was sweating bullets over like 50 cents earlier over, you know, a moderate convenience that he could have had uh, back in Austria. I then had to go to another office with the papers. There, a woman filled out another form and itemized some items that were on another paper. I was, oh, so Kafka-esque. I was told to sign that and pay perhaps 22 zlotis, 60 cents on the official rate. That was it. The charges, the charges were for processing the luggage. I had been prepared to pay an unknown sizable duty. 
so I was most pleased. By then it was noon. Our morning sightseeing was over. The husband had to be at work at one, so we returned to the apartment for lunch. After lunch, Eugenia asked if I wanted to see the salt mine in Velezhka. I hopefully I pronounced that pronounced that correctly. I'm a quarter Polish, so I feel like it should come naturally. Velezhka. Uh, I had heard about it and said it I would be pleased. Eugenia does not drive, so the car was turned over uh, to us for me to drive. For that trip, I could only find third and fourth gear plus reverse. <laughs> it was, oh, real quick break here uh, because he said he had some handwritten notes on the back of this page. And uh, because of the way these papers are bound, like the first few letters of each line, uh, I, I can't read them, but I'll try to do my best to fill in the blanks. Uh, and I don't want to undo this binding because it seems pretty sturdy. Uh, so this is going back. This this hand note written on the back of the page was in regard to uh, opening his suitcase placed on a large table and being asked if everything was for personal use. So here's what he has written. Um something uh inspector did the quote unquote inspecting while a worker uh took the items out of the bags before this worker came to my bag I had noticed that he had received a quote unquote tip by a person who had one who had something through the inspection, read, uh, gone, given through the inspection. I'm not sure. Interesting. So some more tip-offs. And there was a lot of that going on with the shakedown on the train. Uh, Polish officials, or maybe less officials, some of them getting tipped and someone tipping other. Lots of kickbacks flying around everywhere. It's like a fucking Bruce Lee movie. Uh, lots of kicking. That's a joke. Uh, received a tip by a person who had something through the inspection. The inspector asked uh, what was in my suitcase. I told him that these were my things. The first quote-unquote thing he took out was one of Mary's suits. Um, I'm guessing it's, uh, I'm not sure what. Maybe it's clothing he's bringing over for the uh, European relatives. Uh, the inspector said that that did not look like mine. I replied that it was to be a gift. Uh, there we go. There's the answer. Uh, I then got invaded or invited or invaded by the worker. Um, I took his hint and said very little from them. The worker kept trying to tell the inspector that the other things uh, did not need to be checked because those were mine. I'm curious if his relatives tipped off this worker to tell the inspector to back the fuck up. Um, were not mine. I had your clothing try... I'm not sure. And about a dozen pantyhose. The inspector 
examined the worker or remind the worker that his job, oh, the inspector uh, uh, told the worker that his job was to remove the contents of the luggage and that the inspector would make the decisions. Oh, there's some grift. There's some static going on. I kept out of the continuing argument. The inspector made a record of all the men's clothing and the extra men's shoes. As a blank, I was anticipating, or as a result, I was anticipating a high duty. When the inspector was finished, the worker uh, packed. He told me uh, when we were alone to always say that the entire contents were my personal items. I gave him $2 for his help. Ah, so the worker was looking out for him because the inspector was being a bit of a fascist in a socialist country. Um, well, that, that, that's a lot of loaded shit there. So let me erase what I just said. Let's revise it. Bureaucratic overlording, because that happens anywhere. Um, onward to the typed stuff, handwritten parts over. And I think this will be the last page for this episode, and then I'll continue in the, um, the bonus episode. Uh, page 10, typed. Something driving through Krakow with the, num- with the numerous stops. There was a considerable amount of traffic. Eugenia, a front seat driver for her husband and me, almost had a quote-unquote heart failure several times as a consequence of my driving, which had hampered, which was hampered by having to start in third gear. We arrived at the salt mine at 2.10 p.m., 10 minutes late to join the last group. We were sold tickets and told that we, we could catch up with that group. Going down into the mine, it was necessary to walk down 54 flights of stairs, seven steps to a flight, a turn, seven down, a turn, seven down, etc. The entire stairwell, wooden steps, was poorly lit. We hurried and were rather tired when we reached the location at the bottom, just as the guide had concluded his introductory remarks to the group. Good timing. Who needs to waste time with intros? Surprised, says the guy who had a 20-minute intro to this fucking show. Uh, Surprise one to me was uh, that all the salt... It was a surprise to him that all the walls were made of salt. Uh, Salt walls, caverns were almost all black. Oh, that's what's surprising. The salt walls and caverns were almost all black. I didn't know why I had thought that it would be white. All the tunnels were poorly lit, which provided the atmosphere of a mine. Stationed throughout the tour were statues, all carved from salt, mostly in the 1630s and on. Well, that's cool. I didn't expect this to be a a Renaissance salt mine. That's awesome. I was most surprised and amazed as to the work that had been done. There was a small chapel with altar and cross, and there was a huge cathedral and altar, stations of the cross and other statues, all carved from salt. That is really cool. The entrance from way above to the floor of the cathedral was stupendous. 
Great word to use, Gramps. Stupendous. He also said Eureka earlier in this stuff. I love his language. We went down to a level of about 800 to 900 feet, a 1,000 steps down. I was so impressed with the two and a half hour tour that I felt it was almost worth the trip over just to see this alone. I drove back. Before returning to the apartment, Eugenia made me do a side trip to a nearby post office where they go for mail and packages. As I stopped, a red light on the dashboard noted uh, the light and was concerned. Uh, We drove to the parking at the apartment, perhaps one-third of a mile away. I opened the hood to find a broken fan belt. We were indeed fortunate that it happened so close to the apartment. And there I will close out this episode. Patreon.com slash that thing with James if you want to catch the next part. Uh, And I love you. And pending any new disasters, I'm not holding my breath for anything. I'm not, I'm genuinely genuinely like i'm not even emotional about it just logically genuinely i i'm not holding my breath that i will even have electricity tomorrow because that's how life is now but as long as i have electricity pending any wackadoodle wackadoo stuff i'll be back next week so hopefully i'll catch you then i love you and hopefully i'll catch you on patreon love you Thanks for tuning in. Bye.